Many of you are probably familiar with the term lost leader pricing. And some of you might not be familiar with that term. And the kids are in this morning. Uh, and uh, kids, you're probably not familiar with this term lost leader pricing. But this is what it basically means that you put a price on something that's lower than kind of market or lower than even what you, you paid for. You're willing to take a loss on it to get people in the door. Because you, really what you're interested in is you're interested in getting them in the door so you can point them to something else. You know, a lot of people have an idea about the Christian faith that it's like a lost leader faith. It's like, we're going to talk about the grace of Christ. We're going to talk about the forgiveness of sin. We're going to talk about the goodness of Jesus, how his grace stretches further than your sin. And that's going to get you in the door. But then once you get in the door, we're not talking about that anymore. We're now talking about what we really want to talk about. And I'll tell you how deeply this is saturated, not only in our culture, but also the church, where a lot of Christians believe kind of hold to a lost leader faith, that the grace of Christ, the goodness of Jesus, why we gather on a Sunday morning, um, is not to talk about Jesus anymore, because he's just what got us in the door. But now we're in the door, so now we're going to focus on something else. And I need you to know, whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or 5 minutes, or you're here today and you're seeking out faith, and you haven't placed your faith in Christ yet, what you need to know is, this is not a lost leader faith where where Jesus is only front and center until you get into the door. Jesus is always front and center. There's nothing more than Jesus. There's only more of him. There's nothing more than the cross. There's just like a deeper and a more rich understanding of the cross through every text. And Susan and I were at a dinner um, a couple weeks ago, and we were having a discussion with some folks that we had just met at this function. We had never met them before. And they said, what do you do? I said, I'm a Presbyterian minister. And they said, oh, good. And I thought, well, I've never get that response before. Oh, good. I've got a lot of questions about faith, you know, because I think the church has really screwed things up. And so he just lets her fly. And uh, it was fantastic. It was so, such a great conversation. He says, I tell you what's kicked the church's butt. Science. Oh, science has killed the church. Because the more we go into science, the more we realize we got a lot of things wrong. And so I said, I'm waiting for him. Mm, yes. So I'm like, okay. And so he finishes. And I said, you know, I said, I, I think I would be willing to argue that there's a lot of people, not just Christians, but also those from the, the, from the academic community who are scientists who don't hold to a Christian you know, worldview, that would actually say that science actually points quite deeply to uh, order in the universe, uh, speaks strongly in a lot of ways to intelligent design so before i can start diving into these you know kind of things i'm, I'm starting to ramp myself up for this big apologetic susan leans over the table and she goes you know what i think the problem is here she goes i think the problem is everybody thinks the message of the church is to behave and you know the whole table stopped and looked at her like well isn't that the message of the church behave and Susan proceeded to share how, no, 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 the message of the church is not behave. The message of the church is behold. And in all of our beholding of the grace of Christ, that does this gracious and beautiful transforming work. The rescuing grace does a reforming work. that It results in a whole lot of behaving. It looks like a Christian ethic. But the message of Christianity is Christ and Christ alone. So she begins to kind of share this. And the reason that I'm prefacing this before I read the text today, which is Ephesians chapter 6, I'm just going to read the first four verses. And I'm prefacing this today because if we just dive into the middle of Paul's letter to Ephesus, and I say this every week, and I'm going to say it every week, if we dive in 
We have missed the message of Christianity, and we're going to be dialing into the methods, we're going to dial into the ethics of Christianity, which are good and true and, and beautiful and lead us into flourishing, but we have to be viewed in the proper lens. Ephesians 6, which we're about to read, it's the most quoted verse regardless of your worldview. It starts out saying, children, obey your parents. Raise your hands, kids, if you've ever heard that before. Right? Raise your hands, parents, if your parents ever said that. I mean, it doesn't even matter whether you're a, 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 a Christian, an agnostic, an atheist. Everybody thinks children obey your parents is a fantastic, you know, uh, uh, natural law, which it is. But the reason why, before I read this text, I want to remind you of the flow of Paul's letter to Ephesus. It's that what the gospel is, this beautiful grace in Christ, it reorients our hearts. So Paul is giving this instruction to a church that's been reoriented. Reoriented away from self-fulfillment and toward self-sacrifice. And so in the same way that last week when I was preaching on marriage, we were, preaching, we were revealing how the gospel is revealed through marriage. And we didn't say, well, let's just dismiss all the single people because it doesn't apply to you. It actually shows the gospel. This text here, which kids, you know, Paul's actually speaking directly to you because he says, children, okay, we don't say, okay, well, let's dismiss all the parents, because this is a sermon about children. So kids, you stay in while Pastor Paul preaches to you, and parents, go on the other side and play dodgeball, <laughs> you know, until the service is over. Because, there's, because it is, there is this beautiful flow where Paul is taking what the gospel is, and then he is taking all human relationships, and he's shoving them through a cross-shaped filter. And he's saying, if this rescuing grace is true... Now, what's that going to look like in our marriage? If this rescue is, rescuing grace is true that's reforming me, pulling me out of my orientation of self-fulfillment and into self-sacrifice, what's that going to look as, like as being a child? What's that going to look like as I raise my children? And so what the gospel is flows into what the gospel does. And so that's what Paul is, is uh, giving us here. And we come to Ephesians chapter 6. After this tidal wave of saving grace... Paul speaks to these parents, uh, he speaks to the church, and he speaks to the kids, and he says this in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. This is God's word. Now, first of all, kids, good news. Paul is actually expecting you to be in the church. Did you notice that? The children's ministry is a 50-year-old idea. It's, it, children's minute, the idea of children's ministry and having our children not be with us in church is like five minutes old by, by global church standards. And I'm not saying it's bad and wrong. We have a children's ministry here. I think there's ways that it can serve us. But the first thing I think we need to understand, particularly as parents is Paul was writing and he said, in the middle of his letter, children, he starts addressing the kids. So that should say something pretty magnificent. Kids, guess what that says? It says, you're God's kids now. You're God's church now. I mean, you're his kids. He's talking to you through his word. Like, not when you get older like your parents, but right now. That's what your baptism means. You see, when, when we baptize our kids, you're in Christ. Notice how it says, children obey your parents in the Lord. I mean, how can you obey in the Lord if you're not in the Lord, if you're not in relation to the Lord? 
in, you can't obey in the ways of the Lord if you're not in relation to the Lord. So this is good news, kids, because the Bible's like, hey, guess what? All the promises, which I'm going to get to at the end of this sermon, they're yours, like right now, which is amazing. So we do have Redeemer Kids, and you guys go out each week for a couple of years because we are trying to help kidify the gospel and chunk the Bible down so you kids get it. You come in here and join your parents and, enjoy, and you can enjoy the word of God preached to you. But kids, listen up. The reason why we only run that to grade five, and we have you in here in grade six, is because raise your hand if you're in grade six. Raise your hand, all the grade six kids. Are there any kids in here in grade six? Okay, grade fives, raise your hand. Grade five, any grade fives? Fours, raise your hand. Oh, there's a couple. Three, raise your hand. Okay, two, all right, all right. one, any grade one kids in here? Okay, okay. When you guys get to grade six, you guys are going to be in a place where you're going to really, really be able to sit here and understand God's Word in a way that's a lot different than when you're in grade one. And so children's ministry is kind of a really, really new idea in the church, and we're hoping that it's going to serve the families that are here. But parents, notice this, that Paul's addressing them, and he's actually expecting the kids are sitting in the church, which says to us, hey, wow, this beautiful grace I celebrate and that I'm resting in and the Word of God that I am enjoying that is really giving me rest of my heart, how can I chunk this down, break this down, and minister this uh, to my children? Here's today's sermon in a sentence. By God's grace, we've been adopted. By God's grace, we raise our children, and by God's grace, we have his promises. We're going to take these three things out of this text. By God's grace, we've been adopted. By God's grace, we're his children, and by grace, we've, we have his promises. The reason I want to start with adoption and back it up with adoption is because he's speaking to parents of adoption how to raise their children to grow up and understand their gracious adoption. Normally, we can just kind of breeze over the top of this text and just think about instructions and teaching kids information. Okay, children, obey the parents and the Lord. Parents, you know, raise up your kids in, in the ways of the Lord. Just discipline, instruction. You know, give them the information, parents. You, here's, here, here's the, you know, here's the information manual. Give it to the children. We can read it that way. Well, there's a much more beautiful, profound, powerful, gracious meaning to what it means, and we have to start with our adoption first. Uh, so that we can see how beautiful it is. Kids, look down at your notes for a second. You're going to see that it says this. We have a Father over us because of what Jesus did. So when we pray, we pray our Father. And when we pray our Father, that gives us security in our identity and stability of our relationship. Parents, a few minutes ago when we prayed the Lord's Prayer, and each week as we pray it, we start out saying our Father. So you have a relationship to God because of Christ. That's radical grace. Because if you, if you have ever read God's law and you own a mirror, you know you need God's grace. If you don't think you need God's grace, you either haven't read his law or maybe you have read his law, but you don't own a mirror and you think you're pulling off his law. But none of us here, to God's standard, the righteous standard of Christ, are pulling off his law. And so our adoption is a really big deal. A really big deal. And because our adoption is a big deal, kids, you being raised to understand the beauty of your adoption, that's part of, um, uh, that's part of being raised in the Lord. And so parents, for us to raise our children in the Lord, it's not just, hey, give them the info. It's like we want to convey to our children the, the radicality of God's grace. And the only way for that to happen is if we just kind of rest and marinate in it ourselves. Um, otherwise, it's, it's just not this transference of theological information. Now, the good news, kids, if you, kids, if you look down in your notes, you see that word stability of relationship and security of identity. Those are really big words. But here's what it means. 
It means that when God adopted you as his kids because he loves you because of the grace of Christ, your adoption papers, so to speak, are not being held over like a divine paper shredder in heaven. Well, God's not like looking at you, looking at your life, looking at the life you're living and saying, right, this was not a good week. Sam, you know, try again next week. Maybe I'll adopt you again. What it means is God's grace uh, towards you is unrelenting. I mean, uh, Spurgeon once said, once, man once God pardons man, there's no end to that pardon. And so we as parents, we have to sit in how big this adoption is because that's going to be the, the gracious lens through which we actually raise our children in God's ways. So our hearts are reoriented by remembering and being refreshed of this rescuing grace and, and, and that actually postures us to, to instruct our kids. So that's the first thing, that by God's grace we've been adopted. Now secondly, let's talk about by God's grace we raise our children. By his grace we're raising our kids. If you look down at uh, verse 1 again, you'll see it, gets, it says children obey. And all of, not all of us are parents, but all of us are children. And obedience is something that, that uh, leaves when we reach adulthood, but honoring our parents never leaves us. So all of us who are adults are also children who have parents who are to be honored. This is the command of God. But how is it that we do this, and then how do we in turn raise our uh, children to do that? Because this honor never ceases. Uh, Paul says, children, obey your parents, right here in this text. But then when he gets into the honor, he's quoting Exodus 20. He's quoting the Ten Commandments. He's quoting the Fifth Commandment. That's what he's doing. And uh, so, kids, look down at your notes for a quick sec, because I want you to understand this obedience, kids. This is really big. And, and I hope, uh, as parents, this just refreshes for you how you talk to your kids about obedience. Okay, so look at your notes, kids. You don't obey so that God will love and accept you. God already loves and accepts you because Jesus obeyed perfectly for you. So that's the first thing, kids, you got to get. And here's the next thing. Jesus has freed you now. Jesus has freed you so that you don't have to sin. Every Christian sins, but we, the, the glory of the gospel is we don't have to sin. Every Christian is a justified sinner, but the glory of the gospel is we don't have to. We're not slaves to. Right? We used to be. Before Christ, it was just like autopilot, you know. But we don't have to sin. So kids, look down at your notes. Jesus has freed you so you don't have to sin. You're actually free to obey. So when you do sin, God invites you to confess because his grace always covers your sin. Always. Always. Parents, the way we talk to our kids about obedience to God, may we frame it in the always and the security of God's grace. May we, from our rest of that scandalous rescue, communicate to them, oh gosh, it's such an amazing thing to live to the glory of this God who saved you, to obey this word because it's actually like ushering you into this beautiful life of human flourishing. May we frame it that way, and not the if-then conditionality of the law. If you obey, then you're saved. That's the pre-Christ way of teaching the Bible. If you obey, God accepts you. If you don't obey, God doesn't accept you. If you obey, God blesses you. If you don't obey, God curses you. That's Deuteronomy, 
right? Deuteronomy in the Greek means deuteronomos, which is the second reading of the law. Why? Because they didn't get the first reading of the law. So as parents, we don't want to give our children the third reading of the law. Triptos namos, right? Uh, well, whatever. Understand? We don't, that's not what we're up to. It didn't go from the first reading of the law in Exodus 20 to, okay, they didn't get it, to the second reading of the law in Deuteronomy to, well, now our kids today aren't getting it, so let's like really put the pressure on and be like, hey, look, if you don't obey God, you know, lightning bolts could happen. I mean, good Lord, that, that's not the gospel you want. <laughs> that's not, that isn't the gospel. That's the opposite of the gospel. And some people say, well, Paul, this is dangerous. You're freaking me out. My children in the service, and you're telling my children God will always forgive their sin. Aren't they going to start doing the math on sin to figure out how much sin they can get away with? Look at me, kids. Look at my eyeballs right now. Grace makes you want to live to the glory of Jesus. That's what grace does. Grace is like a chemistry set in your heart that blows up the math in your mind that says, how much sin can I get away with? The beauty of God's grace is not that we start doing the math on how much sin we can get away with. The beauty of God's grace is the chemistry set blows up and we say, I, I, how do I live and not sin? How do, I, how do I love Jesus? I mean, that's really what I want to do. He saved me. This is the picture of obedience. And, uh, you know, it could be argued, again, you say, well, this whole business about children obeying parents isn't just ethical law. I mean, even Plato, uh, uh, you know, Plato borrows from this, and Plato wrote in his book uh, of Laws, which was a 12-book series, Plato writes, on the scale of human decencies, honor to parents is second to God. So there's, like, in the world, the idea that this is a good idea. But I'm not just giving you practical good idea information. That's why I'm trying to ram jam this through the cross to see it's not the transference of information we're trying to give our children. It's, it's, it's the Christ of the Christian faith that makes our hearts blow up to desire the ethics of the Christian faith. But if I don't give my kids the Christ of the Christian faith, and I'm really kind of only ever talking about the ethics of the Christian faith, they have no reason to care about the ethics of the Christian faith. Because they just kind of look around at the world around them and they go, I mean, gosh, I didn't murder anybody. Get off my back. I'm living a pretty good life. Why do I even need church? I can listen to a TED Talk and get some great you know, insights on how to be a better person this week. So parents, the, the beauty of our adoption is it becomes the lens through which how we want to raise our kids for them to see not just the Christian ethic, though it's good and right and true, but the Christ of the Christian faith, that they get excited uh, and it's not because you, parents, I'm not burdening you to somehow electrify your children's hearts, because you can't actually do that. But it's in the preaching of Christ to your kids, through, through the text as you instruct them, that the Spirit does His work. It's God who does it. Many of you are here as parents, and you say, oh my gosh, well, I have grown children, and I didn't know this, and I didn't do this. I have good news for you. God's ability to save and rescue your kids is greater than your ability to mess and screw them up. And you got to just put all your chips on Jesus, and you got to just put all your chips on grace, and you cling to the bloody cross, and you say, God, you're, beggar, you're bigger, you're better, you're smarter, you're more gracious, you're more generous, and you're wiser than I am, and oh God, would you by your grace reach my kids? And that is good news. So we raise our children by this grace. We parent on our knees. We, all of us parent, uh, absolutely parent on our knees. When you get to uh, verse 2, when Paul quotes the fifth commandment, he says, honor your parents... Uh, uh, honor your father and mother and you'll live long in the land in the days the Lord is giving you. He quotes this, he quotes this um, 
this commandment. And kids, look down at your notes. This honor that Paul's talking about, it's a decision to treat our parents with dignity and courtesy and loyalty and respect. That's what honor is. And we need grace for this honor because all of us have been the kind of parents that don't deserve dignity and courtesy and loyalty and respect. We have all sinned against our kids. And we're not, if you were to just kind of put it on a, to an ethical board to say, do we as parents deserve that from our children all the time on the basis of the way that we are, relate to our children? We don't deserve that. We need the grace of God to honor our parents. Some of us have parents who we would say, well, they don't, Paul, you don't know what they've done. It's horrifying. If I told my story, you would, you would weep. They are not deserving of honor. That's why it uses the word honor, not obedience. That's why it says honor, not, you know, any other word. Honor is this choice by the grace of God to say, regardless of what you've done, regardless of whether you deserve it, regardless of your character or your lack thereof, regardless of your worldview or your lack thereof, regardless of your faith or your lack of faith, regardless of what church you go to or don't go to, I'm going to respect and I'm going to honor you and give you dignity because you're an image bearer of God. For that, we need grace. Because grace is a lot easier to preach about than it is to extend. Grace is a lot easier to sing about than it is to extend. Grace is a lot easier to tweet about than it's to extend. It's a lot easier to blog about than it's to extend. I mean, grace is just, if you've got two thumbs and a Twitter account, you can be a grace, you know, guru. Uh, but it's pretty hard to extend it. And it, so this call is like pulling us back to the cross. Oh God, would you do this great work in me? And then you look at verse 4 and, and, he, and, he, and he calls us, as, uh, says, Fathers, don't provoke your kids to wrath. Which, ironically, quoting this verse in a, in, a, in a controlling way, provokes our kids to wrath. <laughs> You're supposed to obey me. The Bible says so. <laughs> you provoke me to wrath, Dad. I'm, I'm leaving. You know, it's just, hey, it can, we don't use the Bible as like a, you know, a stick to beat each other with. And so why would Paul say this? Um, you know, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. In, in traditional ancient uh, family models, the authority structure was really authoritarian, and it was typical for a, a, real, a real authoritarian kind of a father to be very harsh. And Paul specifically speaks to the tendency for the sinful heart of the father to be really authoritarian and really harsh. And he's like, don't provoke your children around. He starts taking this relationship and running it through the gospel filter. And because back then, and it could have easily as said in this scenario, uh, based on the research that I did in terms of the world that Paul was speaking to, he says to the fathers, because they tended to be harsh, he could have easily said it, so if you're a mom or you're a guardian that's raising a child, not to provoke the child's wrath, because in the ancient world, um, fathers and mothers both did economic you know, work for the home, and fathers and mothers were both raising the children. Um, the post, you know, so man going to work and you know, wife, you stay home with the kitties, that's not a Bible idea, that's a post-industrial uh, revolution creation. Uh, because before the industrial revolution, Husbands and wives were farming together or going to the market together or selling stuff together. or do, I mean, whatever they were doing, the, you see them in many countries still this way. The husband and the wife go to the market and they do their thing. The husband and the wife go to the field, they do their thing. And it was just the way that it was. And so Paul is kind of pointing back to these fathers who remember the text from last week. You know, you're laying your life down for your wife. And so he's running this through the gospel. He's saying, don't, don't, provoke, uh, don't provoke the kids. And uh, he gives this instruction. And then he gives the parents these two tools. He gives us these two tools so that we, as parents, can raise our kids in the glory of God's grace to live to the glory of God's grace. And then he uses these two words, discipline and instruction. And he gives us these two words. Discipline means 
uh, you know, to hold them accountable for their behavior. So to, to discipline them if they're, they need to be held accountable for the life they're living, the choices they're making. It gives us that. But then the other word is instruction, which is this is the nurture. This is the counsel. This is the teaching. And so he gives us these two things. What Paul is actually calling for is for this continual grace-driven instruction and nurture and teaching, teaching our kids the Word of God, not because we're trying to, you know, uh, uh, you know, control their lives and manipulate them, because we're wanting them to flourish in life. So we want to teach them, and then when, they're, when their lives are going off the rails, you know, we want to bring discipline. What do we as humans do? What's the human tendency? It's to fall into one ditch or the other. Uh, Martin Luther uh, wrote in one of his table talks, uh, he says, he says, all of human history can be described as a drunken peasant who, being helped into his saddle from one side, falls into the ditch on the other. And then being helped into his saddle from the other side, falls into the ditch on the other. He does not want to be helped. He wants to be the devils. Now, that's how Luther used to talk about it. And this is our tendency. We can over-discipline our kids. But they feel like they can't breathe. Every time they turn around, there's another rule. There's another chart. There's a, there's a, uh, there's, you know, every time they turn around, they're just, they're constantly, constantly being bombarded with discipline, where, where, which provoking them to wrath. We can over-discipline, but we can also under-discipline, where it's like, free-range kids! We raise, raise them like free-range chickens, you know? It's just like, let them do their thing! We don't want to bruise their little egos. Don't tell them what to do. Let them figure it out. Don't tell them what to believe, right? Let them figure it out. How's that going to work? I mean, you've just... You've brought a human being into the world who, for the first few years of their life, let's face it, was pooping themselves and drooling all over themselves, and now suddenly they can barely speak and kind of put words together in the human language, and once they've developed enough intellectual capacity to be able to have a coherent conversation, we've decided now it's the time to let them decide, you know, their, their worldviews and, and what's truth and uh, what? No, this is not a good idea. Uh, nobody's being uh, raised in a uh, presupposition vacuum. So we want to raise our children to understand the glory of God, the goodness of his grace, and how his, the truths of his word uh, serve them. And uh, so th this is why Paul gives us these two words. His intention is that it's a steady course of both, and that it's gracious and that it's loving. And this is why we, this is why we parent on our knees, because all of us have parented in both ditches. You know, we've just totally done it. We've absolutely done it. Um, when we get that idea, if we omit grace, if we omit Christ, if we omit the first five chapters of Ephesians, and we just start here on child rearing, um, it's just going to kind of be instructional. Hey, let's instruct the Christian ethic. Now, Paul's actually calling us to instruct the Christian ethic, but it's fueled by the Christ of the Christian faith. And here's the good news about this. When Paul is writing this, for the first time, they're actually, because they're remember, they only have the Old Testament in this letter. They don't have the other letters. And when, they, and when they say scripture, Paul's not even referring to the letter he's writing. Right? He's referring to the Old Testament. So for the first time, when he says, instruct your kids, they get to teach them the law in light of Christ fulfilling the law. For the first time, that, that first century church is getting to sit down and teach their kids, kids, this is unbelievable. Your great-granddaddy and your granddaddy and I, you know, or your, your great-grandma and your grandma and I, grew up our whole lives learning this law. And if we didn't keep it, we were cursed. I got good news for you. Let me teach you this law and tell you about the Christ who fulfilled this law. 
And now because this law is done, you have a totally different relationship with this law. You now get to live your life in light of this because it's fulfilled. And this is now going to serve your life because this is God's picture of human flourishing. Parents, that's the vibe. It's, it's taking the laws of God uh, through the finished work of Christ and teaching them uh, the truths of the scripture. So when Paul told Ephesus to do this, that's all they had to work with, which was, ab- which was absolutely amazing because it's the first time in history that, uh, that the church was able to teach God's law in the light of Christ fulfilling it. Here's the final thing. By God's law, we have his promises. I'm going to go back to this fifth commandment and I'm going to close the sermon here. Because the fifth commandment says, Honor your father and mother, and you will live uh, long in the land uh, that the Lord God is giving you. But when you read what Paul says, he actually chops off the end of that. What's he doing? He's a law expert. Is he changing God's law? No. And then Paul puts in parentheses, because it's not in Exodus 20, this is the first commandment with a promise. What is Paul doing? Is he changing the Bible? No. Paul quotes this law and he, with gospel fulfillment. It's what I was just saying to you. He doesn't just quote the law like it is in Exodus 20. He says, when you read it in Ephesians, which we just did, he says, honor your father and mother and you will live long in the land. He stops there. doesn't say the Lord of God is giving you. Why? Because in Exodus 20, the land that the Lord God is giving you was Canaan. Paul, Paul said Christ has fulfilled it. So Paul stops there. Why does this matter? Am I just giving you an English lesson? No. Let me walk you through it. Did God's people ever live long, blessed lives in the land of Canaan? No. Why? Because they couldn't keep God's law. Moses could deliver the law, but he couldn't keep the law. Moses died outside the land. God said, honor your father and mother and you will live long in the land. Moses died outside the land. Why? Because salvation does not come through the law. If we omit the gospel, this text sounds like, Honor your father and mother, and you'll live a long life in Canada. Honor your father and mother, and you'll live a long, healthy, blessed life in, in, this, in, uh, in this city. That's how you're going to read that. I got a, a news for you. I got good news. That is not what it means. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you right now, that it's not what it means. We can't omit, we cannot omit Christ. Because if we think that the fulfillment of that scripture means you're going to live a long, healthy life in this planet, you're going to have no answer for your suffering. You're going to have no answer. We have, I'm going to, let me just come at this like a, like a, jackhammer we have people in this church who are suffering with sickness and disease if you interpret it that well if you honor your parents and you obey in the land you won't have sickness and disease you will have no answer for human suffering because that is not the promise that's too small you've shrunk the gospel you forgot jesus that's not what this is saying it's going to lead to moralism it's going to lead to uh, this, this kind of idea that, well, I didn't obey enough. Well, I didn't do enough. Well, if I had done something more, I would be living this healthy, blessed life. I got news for you. We will, we will start to sound like Job's friends. We will start trying to counsel each other who is going through suffering like Job's friends. Because, we say, well, the promise is I'm going to live this long, blessed life in the land, but I'm, but I'm, not, I'm, but I'm not because I'm sick. But I'm not because I don't have a job. But I'm not because, well, what? We're going to sound like Job's friends. Here is the promise. This is the good news. We remember the tidal wave of grace in the first five chapters. We remember it. We don't end up with a Darwinian theology that says survival of the Christian fittest. Okay? Survival of the Christian fittest. Pray harder, you know, read harder, do this more, do that, do that, and then you're going to get your miracle, and then you're going to get your healing. That's a satanic interpretation of this text. 
Well, Paul, those are pretty strong words. It's a satanic interpretation. Because every time, every time there is Christian suffering, Christians that believe that everything is supposed to be for my best life now, right here and now, are confused, they're distraught, they leave the church, they freak out, I think God's not true, I don't know, they sit at the funeral, they shake their head, they don't know, because we've shrunk it down to say, honor your father and mother and you'll live a long life in Canada. No, here it is, here's the good news. Church, may this ring in your spirits to say this. And kids, look down at your notes, because I put this in your notes for you. Okay? Christ obeyed the Father perfectly. He honored the Father perfectly. He kept God's law perfectly. And then at the cross, Jesus Christ took his 10 and 0 record with God's law. And he gave it to us who go 0 for 10 with God's law. And the promise of the fifth commandment is ours. But the life is longer than you think. The land is bigger than you think. Will we have long life in the land? Yes, we will. But here's the spoiler alert if you haven't read the whole Bible. Here's the spoiler alert if you never read the end. I'm going to give the answer. The life is long. The land is big. The life is longer than 80 years, 90 years, 50 years, 40 years, 30 years, 20. The, li- the life is longer. The land is bigger. Revelations 22, 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe every tear away from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. When you honor your father and your mother, which you and I do imperfectly, we cling to Jesus who did it perfectly. The long life is yours, kids. The long life is yours, parents. The long life is an eternal life. The land is the earth and the restoration. It is the gospel promise. It is the truth that this life is not all that there is. And we rest and we live. By God's grace, we've been adopted. By his grace, we raise our children. And by God's grace, we have his promises. Church, as I close the sermon today, may we not just give our children the Christian ethic, not the ethics of Christianity, the Christ of Christianity, that their hearts would explode and they would desire to live in a life of human flourishing in the ethics of Christianity. Let's pray.